Hello again, it's Maz. Over the past few weeks, I've shared with you a few milestones that we've reached. We've sailed through 20,000 and are very close to 25,000 downloads. According to Listen Notes, the Voices of War is still trending in the top 3% of all podcasts globally. So if you haven't yet given us a 5-star rating or written a review, maybe consider doing that now. If easier, you can simply share this episode with your followers on social media. Okay, let's go and meet our next guest, the neuroscientist Dr. Douglas Fields. This discussion has without a doubt been one of the most impactful ones I've had to date. I hope you feel the same. My guest today is Dr. Douglas Fields, who is a neuroscientist and author of numerous books and articles about the brain. He is a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, University of Maryland adjunct professor, and chief of the Nervous System Development and Plasticity Section at the National Institutes of Health. He received advanced degrees at UC Berkeley, San Jose State University, UC San Diego, and was a postdoctoral fellow at Stanford and Yale University. He writes about science for Scientific American, Quanta, Outside Magazine, Huffington Post, Undark Magazine, Psychology Today, and similar prestigious outlets. His neuroscience research has been featured on national television, radio, NPR, the National Geographic, and others. And he speaks about neuroscience for the general public on mediums like NPR, World Science Festival, TEDx, and Google Talks. He is the author of three books about neuroscience for the general reader. The Other Brain, about glia, which are brain cells that communicate without electricity. Why We Snap, about the neuroscience of rage. And his new award-winning book, Electric Brain, about brainwaves, brain-computer interface, and brain stimulation. Doug, it is an absolute pleasure to host you on The Voices of War. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Uh, I've just finished your excellent book, Why We Snap, and really look forward to exploring how it relates to war and conflict. Uh, but maybe before we start, a little bit about your background. How did you come to be interested in the brain and neuroscience? Um, well, my degree is in marine biology, and I was, but I was always studying uh, nervous systems. I studied uh, the brains and sensory systems of sharks and related uh, species. Hmm. Um, and I uh, did a lot of the early pioneering work showing that sharks can detect electric fields, bioelectric fields. So um, that <clears throat> led to an increased uh, under, uh, interest in the nervous system. Uh, and uh, then I, I turned entirely to studying the nervous system, how it develops, how it, you know, the cellular mechanisms of learning and plasticity. Hmm. And, and then was there a, a natural kind of transition uh, from that into, I guess, the human brain and how the human brain works. Well, the point of all the yeah, the point of all the research that I'm doing now is to understand um, how the human brain works. Uh, you know, originally I was very much interested in, in comparative uh, zoology, and and that also gives a lot of insight into into the human brain to compare mm. how human brains uh, are similar and different from other animals. But uh, definitely. Um, most of my research now, although it's on experimental animals, it's directed at understanding human behavior, human uh, behavior and brains. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not a psychologist. I'm a 
nuts and bolts neuroscientists. So I'm yeah. interested in how the cells and molecules in the brain allow the brain to do all the things it does. Um, and that's what gives kind of a different perspective on, on the subject of uh, sudden aggression is that uh, it's kind of a different look coming out from uh, new, new techniques and new findings in the field that really haven't gotten out to the general public. So I was very excited to, to try and, and share these new findings. Absolutely. And I think your book does that exceptionally well. You, you manage to put so much neuroscience uh, in terminology that people like myself can easily understand. And I think that's a great success of the book because I think neuroscience as a field is somewhat distant to the general public because it, you know, it, it just seems so difficult to discuss the brain and what the brain does without dedicating well, arguably a lifetime to it uh, and understanding it. So I think that's something that your book does exceptionally well is to bridge that gap. Uh, and of course, that topic of uh, aggression and violence, uh, looking at it from a different perspective, again, strikes me as vitally important because, well, we don't really understand it that well and we haven't uh, really been able to unpack it sufficiently to prevent it from occurring. Uh, but I think you also had, you start the book with a very interpersonal relationship with uh, some uh, some real aggression. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, uh, h- how, how, how the book opens up uh, and what led to your, uh, to ultimately writing this book. Oh, sure. Well, um, my interest in the subject began with an incident in Barcelona. Um, I travel the world to, you know, to go to scientific meetings and to present my research. Um, as all scientists do. And usually I go alone, but this time I had brought my daughter who just graduated from high school. She was 17 years old. And before we were already, before my uh, lecture, we thought we would go, uh, you know, see the Gaudi Cathedral. Here we are in Barcelona. So coming up out of the, uh, out of the subway, I suddenly felt this uh, tap in the cargo pocket above my knee where I kept my wallet and my wallet was gone. So in an instant, you know, a fraction of a second, my, <laughs> I grabbed a guy <laughs> who was behind me. And the way these guys work is, is there's a pickpocket. He grabs your wallet, and then he turns around, hands it to another member, runs off. But I, I grabbed the guy, flipped him, and jumped on his back. <laughs> I'm on the ground and have him in a headlock. And at that point, this thought, you know, bubbles up to my brain. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> the brain caught up. <laughs> and, the, and yeah, so the brain caught up, uh, but then it was a fight, you know, it was him or me. So and I'm in a fight with a street thug, you know, so that was the wrong thing to do. You know, if, if you rob, you, the right thing to do is give the person your wallet. So ha- had I thought about it, I never would have done that, mm. but I didn't think. And people can read. I don't want to go on with the story, but <laughs> there's, there's a lot of very interesting biology in this story. Um, but I realized I didn't think. So if something in my environment could trigger me to engage in a life or death or life or limb uh, battle with no conscious thought, I wanted to understand how that worked at the level of the brain, at the neuroscience level. Hmm. And then I realized, uh, so that's what led me into this research. And then I re- realized that, you know, this, this is the fundamental behavior of snapping, which is so bewildering. Um, and this led to... Uh, a deeper understanding of how we, of these perplexing uh, situations of sudden aggression we read about in the paper from so-called normal people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not uh, people who are not psychopaths or whatnot. 
But then the surprising thing that I actually didn't anticipate until I was writing the book, and this comes in the third part of the book, was the realization that the same neural circuitry, um, the same neuroscience of individual aggression provided understanding to aggression among groups, gangs, nations, and wars. So that's how I became interested. Um, and it's fascinating biology. Uh, how, how can you engage? Oh, I need to tell folks, you know, I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay? <laughs> I weigh 135 pounds, you know, wire uh, rim glasses, gray hair. I have no martial arts experience, no fighting experience. But um, the fact is, we are all wired for aggression. Um, mm. We don't have to be taught. We have this circuitry for aggression because we need it for and- survival reasons. Okay, and that, that was that was my natural follow-on question. What what is the reason uh, for this mechanism? Uh, what function does it actually serve? Because it's not all. It's not. It's, you know, in in this instance, uh, you snapped. Arguably, wasn't the right thing to do, but it worked out well for you in this case. Uh, so, what is the what is the actual evolutionary function of this circuit or this mechanism? What this is is basically a threat detection mechanism. Um, so um, it, it seems that, um, you know, that anything can cause this sudden aggressive response. Um, we see, you know, road rage and these, these incidents, uh, you know, even wars and, uh, and uh, things we read about in the paper. But it's not true. Um, this is very specific trigger. There are only nine very specific triggers that will activate this response um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. This is looking at aggression as a behavior. All behaviors are controlled by the brain. And now we have new methods to be able to trace the circuits that are controlling these behaviors. So so that's what's different about it. But fundamentally, this is a threat detection mechanism. You're not going to engage in a violent uh, exchange, except for some very good reasons that our brains and our survival uh, survival of the fittest uh, engineered our brains to cope with. Uh, mm-hmm. So these are real threats, threats to our survival. Um, it's highly regulated. We don't, you know, we don't uh, engage in aggression except when it really is one of these nine life-threatening situations. Mm. Um, and, and we now know there are different circuits for each of these threats. And the important thing to realize now, when you realize this is a threat detection mechanism and response, is that in the face of a th- sudden threat there's not time to think right it, mm. if you deliberate you're dead yeah you know um you can you can see uh, on on the field you know athletic field they call it paralysis by analysis you know mm. um so it's all done unconsciously so yeah. you shall yeah go ahead no i was just going to say that's the that's the component that i find so fascinating that it it all happens below the surface uh, and you know like like we said before the brain kind of catches or the conscious mind uh, catches up after the fact, which I find absolutely fascinating. Yes, me too. And um, we now know how this works at a, at a, at a neural circuit level. Um, you know, and a good example, well, I'll give you an example of, uh, you know, you're, let's say you're walking across the parking lot and then, and then suddenly um, somebody pulls out and almost hits you. You jump out of the way and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, avoid that. Um and then you go, what was that? You know, you haven't actually even seen what the threat is. Another mm. example would be avoiding a, you know, uh, a football that's thrown 
and you only see it in your peripheral vision, you bat it away before you can even actually know what's going on. And then you go, what was that? Hmm. So what's happened at a neural circuit level is the brain's threat detection mechanism, which is uh, centered on the amygdala and, and the limbic system, takes in information from all of our senses by high-speed connections that go there before they go to your cerebral cortex. Your cerebral cortex is where you have conscious awareness. And, and, mm. and um, so that's because, you know, you can't, you, in order to dodge a blow to a chin or something, it has to be rapid. Um, and it, you, this response, that, uh, for example, uh, of a, something entering your visual field, that information can go to the amygdala and say, hey, you know, that's, that shouldn't be in my space. That's a threat. Mm-hmm. And just imagine how the brain can take in all this information, internal state, external state, and put you on a deliberative course to evade that uh, threat, uh, course of action, and you're not even consciously engaged yet. Mm-hmm. And then the second pathway goes to the cerebral cortex that analyzes and goes much more slowly so that you can see, was that a basketball or was it a fist that came at me? Um, but that's, that's all after the fact. And that's what happened to me in Barcelona because I grabbed that guy within a fraction of a second. I hadn't even seen him hmm. and I didn't even know who I had. And I'm on the ground <laughs> literally worrying, you know, did I grab the right guy? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> uh, but what yeah. I realized is I'm walking around Barcelona with my daughter, fully engaged, you know, taking in all the sites and, and, and I don't, you know, trying to understand where to go, but your brain's, Threat detection mechanism is always on the lookout, crunching enormous amounts of data, looking for threats. And it was aware of this person uh, coming up to me. And, and although it um, was not conscious, I wasn't consciously aware, it wasn't a little old lady that I threw on the ground. It was the bad guy. Mm. It's an incredible system. And of course, evolution has uh, given it to us for a very good reason for that uh, to, well, I guess, to protect the, the, the organism. And those nine triggers that you refer to, all of them can happen or do happen non-consciously. Uh, is that right? That's right. That's um, a, yeah. Sorry, I, I was just going to say that again is, uh, is absolutely fascinating, and it, and it matters so much when we, uh, you know, we'll talk firstly about the personal level, but when we start zooming out into the society uh, and kind of the macro level, uh, but maybe we can uh, we can delve into what those triggers actually are because you use a very particular mnemonic to uh, help us recall them. And I think that's a, again, a very useful way to uh, have these in our mind. Yes. Well, um, as you mentioned before, you know, uh, um, a lot of times in science, the concepts are not that difficult. It's the, it's the jargon, the verbiage that is is terrible. And especially in the brain, you know, all those Latin words for all the parts of the brain, but often, you know, it's not that complicated, but um, it's just not explained. Um, mm. And so mm-hmm. I created this mnemonic called life morts. Every letter stands for a different um, uh, threat that will trigger violent, a violent response. And, and these are discrete circuits in the brain that control different threats. For example, L is for life or limb. That's mm-hmm. also called defensive aggression. If you're attacked, you will fight. You won't think about it, right? If somebody bumps you in a crowd, you instantly tense up and you're ready, you're ready to fight. Um, You know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can see it's very obvious if if you are physically attacked, then of course uh, there's nothing else uh, to lose. Mm -hmm. 
so that's that's number one. People are familiar with that. It's a natural response um, to when, when life or limb is under threat to fight back, and I think that's a it's an intu- it's a very intuitive one. Uh, and, and all animals have that, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, when we go to a you know talk about war, of course that that is very much paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to jump ahead just for conceptual rather than go in mm-hmm. order uh, to the F. For family trigger, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows about the mama bear response. You know, you don't get between a mother bear and her cubs. Um, mm. And uh, same thing with a human being. There are all kinds of stories of, of mothers, uh, uh, you know, coming to the aid of their children who are attacked. That's biology. Um, and it's not just women. We just call it, we're just so shocked to see a woman <laughs> uh, become, uh, you know, so violent to protect mm-hmm. uh, her offspring. So that's why I call it. F for family trigger. So people are familiar with those. Um, going back now in order of life morts, eyes for insult. Um, and this has to do with rank in society. All animals who are social animals maintain their rank by aggression. Humans mm-hmm. are, are, are uh, very social animals. Our survival, our success on this planet depends on us being able to have a cooperative um, uh, society and your rank in society determines your um, access to resources. Um, you know, just as an animal, you know, rams batting heads or whatnot, access to resources and mates uh, and status are maintained by aggression. So we have that same circuitry. Of course, it's a more complex world, the human world, but you know, uh, insult is the cause of uh, you know aggression in barroom brawls or. You know, uh, at one time, duels to the death were perfectly acceptable in, in, in all cultures uh, over an insult. And, you know, mm. if you're on the road and somebody makes a hand gesture that's obscene, um, you get angry. And and uh, anger is only serves one purpose, and that's to prepare you to fight. Okay, L-I-F. E is for environment, and that's to protect your territory. Um not all animals are territorial, but humans are fiercely territorial. And, uh, you know, um, no trespassing, uh, mm. at least in this country, uh, you, you know, you can use deadly mm. force uh, if somebody invades your home. Yeah. And, um, of course, borders, right? That's, that's And borders, yeah. you know, yeah. and defending borders is just, you know, that that is the cause of so much international conflict. Mm. Mm-hmm. M is for mate. Um well, it goes without saying that all animals, including including human beings, <laughs> maintain their envir- their borders by violence. And the reason for that is again biology. I mean, our home is is necessary, or our country, or is necessary for our survival. That's that's where we have our, our food and resources and shelter and whatnot. Mm. M is for mate. Many animals, vertebrates, use aggression to secure and maintain mates. Um, Certainly primates do, higher primates, um, and, you know, that's the cause for a lot of aggression and, uh, you know, infidelity, and uh, mm-hmm. um, I'm afraid it's also uh, very much uh, a factor in war. Uh, you know, rape is mm-hmm. used, violence against women is used yeah. in war. Um, this is a deeply ingrained um, biological uh, aggressive mechanism. O is for order in society. As I mentioned, um Human beings can't exist alone. We need to be part of a society. Uh, and our societies are highly structured and ordered, and they're maintained by violence or aggression. Um, you know, animals will do this without outright aggression, but 
uh, we use uh, various means of aggression, taking away a person's money, putting mm-hmm. them in jail, capital punishment. Uh, really, these are all forms of, of, of aggression to maintain the orders of society. Mm. We're so accustomed to it that we don't realize how exceptional this is. And this is the reason for our success on the planet is that we can form these cohesive groups. Mm. And if somebody cuts in line or runs a stop sign, we're instantly angry. You yeah. don't have to think about it. This yeah. anger comes up, wells up. And this, that's because, you know, um, human beings maintain order by aggression. And for, you know, it's only in the last few hundred years that we had police. So throughout human history, it was every individual's uh, responsibility to maintain um Order in society, social order. Well, that's the that's the purpose of, of social norms, right? As and, and and before we had modern states of, of religion and so on, is to force order on a society that would otherwise we would be just anarchy, right? But that's the right. so it makes intuitive sense that when, and we can all relate to that example you, you you've mentioned of road rage when somebody cuts mm-hmm. in, they've gone against the established order. Certainly for our society, uh, in other cultures. That may not be um, uh, a norm, a social norm uh, that would constitute a breach That's of the true. order and therefore therefore uh, uh, invoke anger. That's true. And I think we'll come to a, a point where we discuss what controls this circuitry because it is also under control. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed for the book not only people like uh, Secret Service agents and SEAL Team 6 members and mm-hmm. Uh, but also passive people, um, people who are strictly nonviolent. And um, so there are controls on this uh, circuitry uh, when there's time. But back to the mm-hmm. life morts, mm-hmm. um, R is for resources. So violence is used to obtain resources. You know, um, that's pretty obvious. We see that in the animal world all the time, right? So we respond to uh, theft uh, mm-hmm. with, with aggression. That's what happened to me mm-hmm. uh, in Barcelona. T yeah. is for tribe. Uh, you know, in early history of Homo sapiens, you probably knew everybody in your tribe personally. And an encounter with another tribe was a threat, a threat to resources. And um, so we have this uh, ability, <laughs> this ingrained ability to form tribes means that we also have this ability to defend them with aggression. I mean, mm. you cannot have the concept of a nation or a religion um, or a gang without seeing other people as different mm. in those respects. Mm-hmm. So the brain, when you, when you meet somebody on the street, just encounter somebody, brain imaging shows that within a fraction of a second, 50 milliseconds, you divide that person into either us or them. Mm. This person is either one of us or one of them. And what us or them is, is pretty arbitrary. It's defined by your upbringing and whatnot that's been shown. But, um, and that, that's essential for our survival. Mm. Um, so, but it's also the key to our success. You know, we can, we can, uh, we can uh, compete with the Russians and go to the moon, you know? Mm. Uh, the final one is S for stopped. And that's restraint aggression. If you're stopped you, or an animal is restrained, you will fight aggressively to, to break mm. uh, free. And anyone will do that. Um, so this explains why you get angry uh, when you're on the road and you, you're held up 
gets angry. Why you get angry when your internet connection fails? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're being impeded. But it also explains, and, 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 you know. So why do you get angry? You know, that's what you need to ask. Why do I get angry and not sleepy or something else, right? Or bored? No, you get angry and you want to kick your computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or you have that feeling. Yeah. Um, now. I'm afraid, you know, it's also obvious in war, blockades, um, you know, oil embargoes mm-hmm. uh, are the, are uh, pr- provocations for war. Uh, the Japanese, one of the provocations of World War II was the oil embargo against Japanese, for example. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's important to realize what these triggers are, because if the situation is presenting them, you need you can understand that you are in a situation designed biologically to result in rapid aggression. Yeah. Um, and also, if you can recognize them, we need to realize the second important thing is that these are not malfunctions, okay? We have these circuits because we need them. I mean, the tribe is how we have armies. That's how we have police. A policeman will you know, risk his or her life mm-hmm. to defend his people or her people. Mm. Um, so that's that's remarkable. It's not a malfunction, but like any threat detection detection mechanism, it can malfunction. It can be tripped inappropriately, and that's what we want to stop. Because when this circuitry works, and you have a, an aggressive response for the right reason, we don't call it snapping. Mm-hmm. We call it quick thinking, you mm. know, or something or heroism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only when it, 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 it it's a misfiring, and that's what you need to to control. And that's how understanding these life morts can help you uh, prevent um, an aggressive response. If you realize it's a misfire, oh, I'm angry because this guy cut in line. Yeah. And I I particularly like that point that we have the ability to actually intervene uh, and and prevent it. But one thing that strikes me as peculiar is, again, the fact that it happens non-consciously, you know, all of these nine triggers in essence, they explain, as far as I can think, just about every, every instance of violence or aggression in our species, and, and as you mentioned, in other species. But I find it strange that the conscious brain catches up only later, uh, in, in essence, to understand what happened and to explain what happened, but it, it feels like it's it's not really present there and then. Um, so, so how do we actually get the conscious brain to be present enough to respond when one of these nine triggers, one of the life morts triggers, uh, is actually struck? Right. Well, those are all important questions, and, and there are a number of elements in them. And, and as I mentioned, it's unconscious because the conscious brain, two reason, is too slow, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you learn to play the, the guitar and you have to think about where to put your fingers mm. it's, it's just very slow you're using your cerebral cortex um, and conscious mind to do that way too slow number two conscious brain is too limited we can only hold nine uh, items in working mm. memory mm. that's pathetic mm. right <laughs> your unconscious yeah. brain is taking in enormous amounts of data data crunching enormous amounts of data your conscious mind could never handle it so that that's why but the second point is uh, a lot of aggression is conscious, and 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 I'm glad to hear you say that. In your opinion, uh, you haven't found any instigation, any instance of, uh, of violence that couldn't be uh, understood, except mm. for these 
triggers. And that's what I'm finding as well. And, and, and uh, it is all uh, encompassing. But what about deliberate rage? What about somebody who decides to put a bomb in the yeah. suitcase, you know, yeah. a terrorist or decides to rob a store? Mm-hmm. Well, um, this same circuitry is controlled by the cerebral cortex. So the cortex can activate the same circuitry. So if you're going to carry out this behavior, which is a violent reaction, very complicated biological mm. behavior, the same circuits have to get activated. We could talk about what they are, but people have a sense of, you know, what it feels like to fight. Mm-hmm. So that the 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 conscious brain can uh, activate this response, can deliberate and do it deliberately, but it will still be one of these nine life morts triggers. <laughs> that that are guiding is, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the reason is, is that it's only this behavior, aggression, fighting, is only serves purposes that are life threatening by our wiring. Mm. So, you know, if, you're, if your resources are, uh, are uh, if you need resources, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are wired to use violence to get them. Um, that explains bank robbery. Yeah. Um, so it will it will be the same circuitry, but but uh, only for these nine reasons, and uh, instigated then rationally or deliberately. I guess is the right word, mm-hmm. deliberately. And yeah. the, this is the same thing you see in war, because usually you know wars do involve um, deliberation. There's a lot of you know impulsive uh, or rapid mm-hmm. resp- uh, re- aggressive responses. Uh, but uh, it's the same thing. Yeah. We engage in violence because this is a fundamental threat to our existence. Yeah. And, and, and I think there, therein lies a really important point when we, when we kind of come to think about war and, and, and conflict on a larger scale. It's not necessarily an immediate reaction. So your, um, your ninja skills, your unbeknownst to you ninja skills from Barcelona were an immediate reaction. So one of the nine triggers or probably a bunch of them uh, were triggered uh, at the same time, and you reacted completely non-consciously. The brain caught up later, or your conscious mind, I should say, caught up later. Whereas when we start talking about war, it's not necessarily a, an immediate reaction. Or even when we talk about the suicide bomber uh, as somebody who is planning an act uh, that is guided and originally triggered by one of the nine uh, life mode triggers, which then brings into question uh, our volition in this. Uh, how you know, if behavior is a result of cause and effect somewhere in our past that has been triggered, and and, I, and, and the reason I bring this up is I had a really interesting discussion um, uh, uh, recently about the uh, about the argument of free will, and I think you actually touch on this in one point in your book as well, because it begs the question: Where is my volition here? Where is my free will? If I'm being triggered by an evolutionary trigger to protect life or limb uh, or any of the other uh, eight triggers, then am I actually morally liable for snapping, uh, as we so often do? Again, a lot of, a lot of really interesting question, uh, aspects to your question. Um, well, um, first of all, we, we all have this capability for violence, and I think one, uh, and, and it's an eight, the fact that you can have a draft mm-hmm. and take anyone out of society and, uh, uh, you know, and they will engage in in um, destruction, violence, and death uh, as part of the military mm-hmm. uh, is an example of that. Um, so we all have that capability. Um, 
I think people are largely unaware of how much processing goes on unconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing. And it's for the two reasons I said, but, you know, even in a discussion, we have a nice discussion here, right? Mainly it's going on unconsciously. These ideas bubble up into our mind and we may hear us say these thoughts for the first time when we say them. So that's because these are very complex behaviors. So the brain does an enormous amount unconsciously and we just don't appreciate that, I think, enough. Mm. But mm. in terms of volition or culpability is what you're talking about. Um, there are two aspects here. Um, um, you know, I think that we are, we are responsible for our actions because our actions have consequences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it helps to understand why we would have a violent reaction, but we are responsible for that behavior and you can act on that. So, you know, knowing that somebody will rob a bank because that's the R trigger, we can say, well, I'm not going to leave my wallet sitting out on the table, you know, or I'm going to put my money in a, mm -hmm. in a safe and I'm not going to leave it under my bed. So the same thing applies to every one of these life marks triggers. Um, we can take action based on this, um, but we are responsible for the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why it's so important to understand what these triggers are, because even when it's deliberative, uh, you know, a terrorist or, or a deliberate invasion by an army or something. It is one of these nine situations by which the brain is wired to engage in violence. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, well, I guess, it's a, as, as you said, it's for threat detection. Um, what's your thoughts on how social media plays with these triggers? Because I think that's one of the important points that's very different now to our evolutionary past is that, and I, and I really like the quote uh, that you use in the book, uh, you know, we are equipped with stone age brains with space age weapons. Uh, now in this instance, and, and we'll come to actual weapons, but some are saying, and, I, and I've written a, a, an article on this, how social media uh, has uh, re become weaponized effectively. Um, so what are your thoughts on how social media interplays with these nine triggers and what can be done about that. Right. Um, well, the thing to understand is that the brain we have now is the same brain we had a hundred thousand years ago as a species. It hasn't changed, but the world, mm. <laughs> our environment mm. has changed enormously. So, you know, we don't live in caves or in the open plains of Africa. Um, and so the brain is coping with an environment it was never designed to operate in, you know, driving 60 miles an hour, uh, a foot off the asphalt, you know, mm -hmm. um, inside a machine and so many other things. Uh, it was never designed to deal with uh, weapons, atomic weapons that could an um, annihilate the, the mm you know, mutually assured dest uh, destruction of everybody on the planet mm. and ruin the whole planet, you know, or, or just firearms. It was never designed to handle the drugs, uh, both of abuse and, and of, um, you know, therapeutic kinds of drugs that, that are used today. Um, and it was never designed for this kind of instant communication across the world, um, transportation that brings together uh, clashes among different tribes and cultures. And, you know, if, if, 
9-11 was very much a culture clash, right? Mm. Um, and if it wasn't for communication, transportation, um, and so, you know, social media, um, we never would have known, you know, we wouldn't, mm. we wouldn't know that their culture has these different values and practices. So you have, and then you add to that congestion and stress. And we didn't talk about this, but, uh, stress is an important factor. I'll set that aside for now to continue this, mm-hmm. this line of thought. Social media is a weapon. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the Boston bombers, people who become, uh, radicalized, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and certainly this is in the press right now with respect to, to Facebook and it is a weapon, uh, but that those things, uh, that didn't exist, mm-hmm. um, bring us into conflict, uh, because they press on these triggers. Mm. Um, and it's very important, you know, if you have a, a teenager to understand, you know, that when you're disrespected on Facebook and you get angry or mm. suicidal, you know, that happens to tell them, well, don't, don't get angry when you're disrespected. That doesn't really help. You need to say, well, of course you get angry. Mm. And here's why mm. it's the eye trigger. You've been insulted. You're hardwired to fight and your survival depends on your rank. And yeah, you mm. should be angry, <laughs> but, uh, Hey, that was designed for a survival of the fittest in the jungle. We don't live in the jungle you know, you're going to get into a fight. Now that sounds like too much rationalization and, and it doesn't work like that. I use the example of, uh, if you're bumped in a crowd, you, you tense up and you turn and you're ready to fight. What if the person says, Oh, excuse me. Mm. Instantly that, that tension and the aggression goes away because, mm. uh, your unconscious brain can only deliver this threat. Hey, there's a threat to your conscious brain. And then your conscious brain has, can, can then act on it. And if the person says, excuse me, it goes, oh, yeah, okay, that's a misfire. Mm, That's mm. why we need to understand these life morts because you're suddenly angry at something on the road. If you find it's one of these misfires, you don't need to go through a lot of deliberation or, you know, calm down, count to 10. You just go, oh, that's a misfire. Yeah, Mm, of course mm. I was, of course I'm angry, but yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And it it explains so much. Again, I I think this is one of those books that you kind of just, made sense from the start because you can just see these things every day you can see it on the i can see it when i respond to an email in a way that uh, the way an email might trigger me and i just did this recently where somebody just you know in a a professional work email uh did something that was absolutely benign it it just but but in, in some way insulted inadvertently so my status and my rank in that particular uh, organization completely inadvertently right. but I, but I, but I happened to be reading the book uh, at the time that this happened and I recognized it immediately oh my god this is because my response was how dare this person undermine me in such a way because and well, and glad, and I blame that I'm person glad to hear that yeah yeah, yeah. I'm re- so glad to hear that because yeah it's that understanding you know mm. the first step to controlling anything is to understand it yeah mm. you understand okay I'm angry because this guy disrespected me yeah well, I've got this biological legacy mm. that's why I'm angry but mm. yeah th- I think that that's wonderful it made a really d- real difference because it allowed me to take a step back and say well hold on you know give the benefit of the doubt what is the most gracious way you can view this um and you know i managed to calm down realizing hold on maybe this person maybe that was not even the intention i reacted 
So let's just take a pause. And in fact, I then called this person who I'd never met face to face, but had engaged emails over, over a period of time. And we just discussed it. Uh, and it turned out that, of course, it wasn't intended uh, as I initially perceived it. Um, it was completely benign. Uh, and the person was unaware of the reaction their words had caused, um, which I find, and again, it was a really useful, very small scale uh, a case study of how this manifests in the on in the world in our day to day engagements, uh, because we uh, and again as we discussed or have been discussing so far is the brain the conscious brain interprets events, and of course even those interpretations might be misfiring, and again for one of these nine uh, life modes triggers, which I find so so important and so relevant uh, to every everyday life. Um, and this is maybe a pivot uh, to the macro level. Because again, this is something... Well, just, let, just let me yeah, comment on that course, first yeah, before please, we go on. Please, Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Because yeah, I think, look, we all know this. And we've all experienced this. Maybe people won't admit it. But we all know somebody who, you know, uh, has this reaction, you know, and it's embarrassing. Mm. And it it's bewildering, you know, mm. why... Why smash your tennis racket? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and so uh, why smash a dish? Mm. Uh, and, and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so it's very helpful to understand there's a biology here, and that's the reason for it. Yeah, and it's so liberating. I find it so liberating because then it's so much easier to have, firstly, empathy with myself, but perhaps more importantly, empathy with others. Right, and I, I wanted, and I did leave out things like you know, alcohol and traumatic brain injury mm -hmm. and these kinds of things that we all know, you know, that if you have impairments, um, this can lead to aggression. But the problem I find is that you read about somebody, you know, OJ Simpson or somebody mm. who was just, you know, uh, nobody thought he was a, a vicious killer the day before the incident, right? So mm. most of the acts of, of, of violence are not by people who are psychopaths or something. They're, mm. they're so-called normal people. And that's what I wanted to understand because it, it, it's embarrassing, it's unpleasant, and we kind of put this aside. Anyway, you're about to pivot onto, yeah, onto I'm guessing. No, I mean, no, no absolutely. This is a, a really relevant. And I think just tying into that point, you know, at the individual level, again, you know, you mentioned O.J. Simpson, but in, in, in the kind of space of, of war and conflict, and I, I really like how you've made this point earlier about there's a fine line between, you know, being a hero uh, and, you know, uh, uh, potentially dying uh, in an act where one of your triggers uh, uh, had been struck. So we, we see this all the time with uh, honors and awards awarded to soldiers for extraordinary bravery, what we consider to be bravery. But then when they're interviewed, they're saying, well, I just did what I what every one of my uh, you know, friends would have done. Every one of my colleagues would have done. Uh, I just reacted. Yeah, they say I didn't think. Yeah. I didn't think. I just, yeah. Which, which again is quite fascinating. It's a, it, but in this case, uh, you know, in a, in where they lived, uh, where they, you know, stormed machine gun nests and uh, managed to to save an entire platoon, etc. They get awarded uh, for that uh, act of valor and bravery. But there are so many who didn't survive those types of responses uh, and were killed in the process. Uh, yeah. And again, that's a, you know, and, and most of these people also say, well, actually, when I think about it, it was pretty crazy and stupid thing to do. <laughs> uh, I, I got away with it. I was lucky. 
and again, that's a that's another really important piece uh, of this. But there's also a dark side to it, I think, and that's where we see atrocities, war crimes, um, you know, any of these bad things that we see that happen in war, uh, and you used uh, uh, the idea that rape and sex uh, is used as a weapon. How did these? And 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 there's an interesting part of the book, so maybe I'll just invite you to talk about this. Uh, what is the interplay? Uh, here, so particularly using sex as a weapon, and why is that a particularly uh, important, relevant piece of the neuroscience yes. to understand or the circuitry to understand? Well, the M trigger uh, violence related to mating is, mm-hmm. you know, is very much a powerful cause for aggression and violence uh, throughout vertebrates, especially in males and uh, certainly in in humans. At a neural circuit level, it's surprising. Um, the new research shows that there's commonalities. Some of the same circuitry is used. So there's a part of the brain called the hypothalamic attack region. Mm-hmm. And if you stimulate that with an electrode, the animal will launch into a vicious attack and kill another animal in its cage instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so these other uh, circuits uh, feed into this part of the re- brain to trigger this. But this region is in deep, unconscious part of the brain called the hypothalamus, the same part of the brain that controls thirst and eating and sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, research has shown in, in animals that you can stimulate this part of the brain, uh, the same neurons. And if you stimulate them in different patterns, um, you can switch the animal. And this, these are mice in this case, mm-hmm. uh, and they're stimulating them with uh, implanted fiber optic cables and using lasers to stimulate these specific neurons. You can switch the animal from fighting to copulating. Mm. So you, we always have this, you know, strange intersection throughout history between sex and violence. Mm. I mean, all mm. the Bond films, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> you know, and um, so, but when you, you think about it, they both have some commonalities, even though they're opposites, love and hate, mm. uh, intense arousal, um, you know, a sense of reward. Um, some of the same circuits, some of the same neural hormones are activated in both situations. I didn't mention this, but you, you, you're not going to uh, engage in violence without having this huge sense of reward. And that circuitry is, is well understood. Um, and, and so we have that same part of the brain activated in sex, for example. Mm. But um, and just on that, that brings another point oh, sorry, that, you know, the most, I'm sorry, I have a bit of a lag, so I stepped on you. Sorry. No, no, please. No, no, please continue. Please continue. No, no, you finish your thought. Sorry. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of, uh, in, in addition to the, to the nine triggers, the important point to realize is stress can change the threshold at which these are pulled. And people at the end of the book will find out that I, mm. my daughter and I were under extreme stress and, you know, otherwise people think I'm a crazy person, <laughs> but um, I was under stress. And that makes sense. If you're under stress, you go on high alert, you're in danger. What are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to um, be more likely to, you know, to respond rapidly, but that's going to have more misfires. Number That's a, another factor, but the most important factor in aggression is sex is gender males of many species and certain certainly humans are much more aggressive. Um, 94% of the prison population in the United States is male, Mm. violent prisoners. Um, But 
it turns out that when you look, you talked about awards, the, the Carnegie Foundation gave, uh, gives awards for heroism, 25%, uh, 95% of those people getting awards and many for valor, in many cases, coming to the aid of a stranger they didn't even know, mm-hmm. aging violently, um, are male. And mm-hmm. a quarter of those who got those awards died, um, gave <laughs> their life to to protect somebody or come to their aid or rescue them. So um, this, this is, this is why we have this circuitry and uh, it, it, it's just uh, misfires sometimes and, yeah. and in these two situations and um, back to the point uh, gender and mating uh, involves some of the same circuitry. And I guess that's potentially also the reason why we still overwhelmingly throughout history still have a majority of those going to combat, whether in uniform or not, are also males. Is that is, right. there's a link there? I suspect. Well, a couple of reasons, and this was an interesting part and the most disturbing and part of my book to, for me doing the research was violence against women, hmm. um, because this is a huge problem, um, and. Um, you know, trying to understand 24% of American women have been sexually assaulted. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this really is, is, is a real biological problem. Uh, the, but, you know, we need to understand, we need, we need to, uh, we need to teach the life morts to boys and whatnot. And the thing is that males and females, talking about gender in, in combat, women are no less uh, brave mm, men, mm, absolutely. Um, no, no less motivated. Uh, it's just that men outweigh them by, you know, 50 pounds and, and, and they're six inches taller. Mm. So it makes no sense to get into a physical battle with somebody who outweighs you. I mean, mm. two guys are not going to get into a physical battle if, if you're outweighed, you know, if you can avoid it. Mm. So it makes no sense for women to engage violently in response to these uh, kinds of threats um, where, where, uh, with male. Hmm. Um, and so that's why, um, that's why, uh, women have a different kind of response to, they will have not, uh, indirect aggression, you know, gossiping, hmm. uh, poisoning, <laughs> yeah, various yeah, yeah. kinds of things. Cause yeah. it is, it is just doesn't make any sense to, to fight. Hmm. So if somebody comes in the house in the middle of the night, the guy's the one that's expected to go there. Cause yeah, he's, he's bigger and stronger. Hmm. However, we don't fight with swords anymore. Mm. Uh, and uh, we, our technology has advanced to make uh, male and females um, equal. I mean, it doesn't matter how many, you know, if you have an X or Y chromosome mm. when you're flying a fighter jet, mm. you got your hand on the, on, on the missile launcher. Mm. So this could change, uh, you know, as, as our technology changes, but historically, um, that's the reason it's been mostly males, uh, certainly mostly males still in uh, police, um, but that's all changing. Right. Simple biology explains this. It's not, it's not, uh, not anything Cultural else. It's society. not that women are any different. Mm. So then in that case, is it fair to say that the way these nine triggers are triggered is the same across genders? It's just how the manifestation of that triggering is viewed or, you know, occurs through behavior uh, is different. Yes. But there's another aspect. Males and females face different types of threats. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You and I as males 
Uh, we go out at night in the city, walk down a dark street. Mm. I don't think about being sexually assault- assaulted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. But a woman can never not think about that. Mm. Mm. Um, so males and females face different kinds of threats. Well, mm. the male and female brain has adapted differently to confront these mm. specific threats. And, and I saw that in Barcelona with my daughter. Um, one thing that uh, uh, EEG analysis and brain imaging has shown that in the case of a sudden uh, threat, males use the right hemisphere of the brain and females use the left. Mm. Um, and, you know, we don't know why, but that's what happens. So uh, I didn't tell people, but after my fight with this pickpocket, uh, I got my wallet back, but it turned out to be a whole gang. All right. And then they chased my daughter and I through mm. Barcelona for, for the next hour mm. where we were fighting for our lives. We felt we would run uh, in the front of restaurants out the back, um, trying to elude these people. Um, but what I noticed is that my daughter, well, sorry, we've got a lightning storm here. <laughs> no, no <laughs> Hope problem. Hope that didn't come through. Um, that my daughter would always recognize the bad guys in a crowd before I did. And mm. it got to the point where I just relied on that. So what was happening is we're running through Barcelona, you know, trying to uh, escape from this, this gang. I'm thinking big plans, you know, mm. making big schemes. How am I going to deal with this and what we're going to do? And Kelly is down in the weeds seeing the bad guys, picking huh. them out of the crowd as they're coming. Huh. And she always saw them first. So it, working together is a great team, and we did outwit them in the end. We don't know why this happens, and, and the, the researcher who's done this work um, suggests, and it's just a suggestion that we don't know, but um, you know, one of the most important decisions that any animal makes is mating. Mm. Uh, and in the mating game, you know, the guys audition, and, mm. and the females make the, cho- uh, the choices. Yeah. And the females throughout the animal uh, world and also in humans, but um, do this based on real subtle uh, cues, like, you know, how well the bird does his bird dance, right? <laughs> Little minute differences. Yeah. And whereas the guy's thinking, whoa, it's a, it's a, it's a female, <laughs> mm. <laughs> not thinking yeah. Yeah. very detailed figure, but uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, our, our species depends on women making the right decisions yeah. in that very stressful situation. I don't know, but that's a fact. The, 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 the male and free female uh, threat detection mechanism and aggression are different because there are differences between males and females. Mm. That's absolutely fascinating. I, I mean, and, and again, I mean, I can again think to examples both from my mum and my partner where they just felt something off about a person and they were spot on, whereas I would have said, what do you mean? No, no, it's just not. And I'm sure, you know, most of us, and, and this is probably my own bias and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the research of one, um, but I can, it's, it certainly resonates with me how that uh, might actually be the case uh, again in our, in our lives uh, and why your daughter was particularly good at spotting the bad guys uh, as opposed to you looking for the ways out or, potentially to fight. Uh, but there's one other thing that I, and I just realized that we haven't touched on it uh, before we go to the kind of war side of things. And that is the idea of the lizard brain, which is so popular in our social discourse. And, you know, we hear it thrown around quite a lot, 
but you debunk that idea quite neatly uh, in your book, and I just don't want to miss out on stamping that idea out if we can. Uh, so what is the what is wrong with this idea of the lizard brain that you know we have an older part of the brain that's that's developed and it takes over, uh, and then it's you know it's about you know, bringing the the newer brain um, uh, into being. What is it about that uh, uh, metaphor, I guess? That, uh, That's an, an old yeah. uh, theory that developed in psychology at a time before we had very much detailed understanding of the neuroscience, mm -hmm. and it caught on. Uh, you know, the media latched onto it, um, and it's the idea that we have this primitive part of the brain that uh, has beastly impulses and, and is in conflict with the higher level reasoning that only humans have, the cerebral cortex, um, and this is what leads to to these terrible, violent, and beastly behaviors. Well, the neuroanatomy is all wrong and oversimplified. It's just not true. Mm -hmm. You start to think about uh, making a threat detection mechanism that can identify a threat in a fluid environment situation, complex situation, and put you on a definitive course of action in an instant to do the right thing. That is complicated. The threat detection mechanism spans the whole brain. Mm. Much of your brain is devoted to threat detection. You can see this in animals because it's a survival of the fittest world that developed the human, the human brain. So this, um, the anatomy is all wrong. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really make any, I don't think neuroscientists ever really put much stock in it. Um, and it's also not very helpful. So what do you do with that? You know, um, oh, I have these beastly urges and I can't control them. They're in conflict with my with my better side. It leads nowhere. Um, so now we have this detailed understanding of the of the intricacies of the circuitry involved and uh, how different triggers can activate different aggressive responses, and now how we can actually use that information to control it. So yeah, the lizard brain, you know, it's just it's just uh, it's, it's just a very uh, appealing, uh, popular notion, but it never had much scientific validity. Mm. Okay, and and I guess that's the that's perhaps the reason why I wanted to get rid of because I, I I did used to refer to the lizard brain in some of my discussions, and um, it seems like a neat way to explain things that are far more complex uh, than. Uh, they initially appear, uh, and that's why the life mods mnemonic is so useful because it gives you a list uh, of things where you can start really narrowing in as to what is the which circuit is circuits are being triggered uh, right now, uh, and maybe we can now pivot to the collective. Uh, uh, I know I've asked you a bunch of questions in between, but there's just so many uh, different interesting aspects of this. But life mods does apply, or we can apply life mods to the collective societal level uh, and how, and, and if we analyze how we went to war in certain instances, we can see how uh, some of these or multiple of these triggers were struck. Is that accurate? Yes. And also hope uh, to use these for, for peace building um, to avoid war. Absolutely. And, and one example that just keeps striking me is the idea of uh, the eye or the insult and it seems to be so prevalent in our geopolitical conflict debates discussions where we don't necessarily understand how we whoever we might be might have insulted uh, another nation uh, and i think you yep. sorry go on. absolutely and it's a world of great uh, inequality and um 
Yeah, you can inadvertently insult people or people you don't even intentionally do it can feel inferior, mm. made to be inferior. That's mm. going to lead to a revolution or to war. Uh, I'll give a specific amp- example. My skin started to crawl when our president started referring to the North Korean president as the little rocket mm. man, right? Mm. Now, how's that? What's that going to do? Yeah. In terms of just the biology. Um, yeah. And somehow I think somebody uh, persuaded him to change course. And when he actually, you know, embraced mm. uh, the president, went over and, you know, yeah. some would argue that he was uh, too, he, he went too far that way. But it definitely diffused to a certain extent the hostility. Whereas mm. calling a leader of another country names, Hmm. <laughs> little rocket man is not going to help it's going to worsen things so definitely insult is one of one of the the triggers but i think in general it's important to understand because why does this biology apply to group violence and it's because you know the leaders that provoke or lead groups into violence you know it, it, their anger and aggression is triggered by the circuits in their brain hmm. so that will let us understand the instigator, number one. Number two, um, if you can understand the life morts, you can protect yourself against being manipulated. All right. Mm. You know, the United States mm. went to war with Vietnam. The Vietnam War was very unpopular. It tore the country apart, the United States apart. We had we lost five fifty-eight thousand mm. uh, service members, 150,000 injured, 125,000 went to Canada left the country mm-hmm. um you know but that's because uh two things they 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 didn't feel that any of the life morts triggers were engaged mm. so you cannot in order to engage in violence and this is the third thing the people that you are asking or coercing mm. uh, into violence will not engage in violence unless one of these triggers is pulled so bombing of Pearl Harbor, that's the L trigger. trigger. Um, when mm-hmm. 9-11, you know, when the World Trade Centers were attacked, mm-hmm. that was a that was a, a defensive response. And, and people had an immediate visceral response to uh, fight back. But um, in order to get, uh, you know, Americans into the war in Vietnam, they tried to push the L trigger. You know, there are survivals dependent on it, but it turned out to be a false pretext. Uh, we went to that war. Uh, Congress declared war based on a uh, attack supposedly by the uh, North Vietnamese on, on American naval ships, the Turner Joy. And hmm. that turned out years later, found out that was all false. There hmm. was no attack. Hmm. Uh, the more recent example is Colin Powell going mm-hmm. to Iraq, hmm. you know, uh, trying to get the, country, the United States behind engaging in a, in a war. Um, well, it was the L trigger. That's all. That's the main reason. And so, you know, there were weapons of mass destruction that directly threatened the United States. And mm. if that's the case, that will press that L trigger and people will engage in that uh, in that fight. We later learned and Colin Powell admitted that um, that information was wrong. Um, but so those are all the reasons that these life morts are are involved in group city, uh, situations uh, and and why we need to be aware of them mm. and they don't they're not to occur in isolation right you can have multiple triggers coexisting 
to Absolutely. add fuel yeah. to that fire. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, often these often these come together. The other stop trigger we talked about embargoes, but you know often that comes together with the eye trigger, the insult. You know, um, so um, when you have a situation when there's more than one of these triggers pressed, and you'll find them in everyday life, that increases the likelihood of of there being a violent response. Mm. Yeah, and and of course the example that comes to mind that's very current at the moment is of course the ongoing tensions with or rising tensions with China uh, particularly US and China but more the West and China and there's and and one of the things that I just feel like we're not listening to is China keeps referring to the century of humiliation uh, which is the insult trigger laid out in public on display uh, they keep talking about the uh, established we keep talking about uh, China going against the established world, world order which from our quote unquote western side uh, is the o trigger being hit uh, of course you mentioned sanctions i mean all of these things are so uh, it's amazing how when you peel it back how simple they actually uh, can be or can seem and how absolutely we just in, don't in see taiwan that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Taiwan, you know, territory, territory, um, yeah, or or are being robbed of that territory. Uh, but here's the thing, um, and this is the how the neuroscience perspective helps. I think both sides in war or feel righteous; mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> they feel justified, mm. and it's because it's the same neural circuitry on both sides. Mm. You know, they're they are they are defending themselves against one or more of these threats. And so they're justified to use violence or whether or not it's justified, they will use violence Hmm. because of these threats. Those same triggers are what give the other side the justification and righteous feeling that uh, we can engage in violence and destroy these people uh, for, for the very same reason, right? Hmm. 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 uh, Service member protecting their tribe, their country, but then you have, you know, terrorists mm. who or feel that they are, um, you know, protecting their way of life. Mm. You know? Well, it's, it puts the, uh, you know, one man's terrorist and another man's freedom fighter uh, saying into context. And it, and it gives right. it, and it really gives it biological validation that that's exactly what, uh, it's, it's absolutely true that that's how people perceive it. Well, that's the way I think the only way to get around it is recognize these truths. First of all, understand what is instigating this aggression, tendency, anger for aggression at a neuroscience level, mm. and then deal with that. Don't say, you know, why are these guys angry or <laughs> they're wrong, but understand the other side point of view from a biological perspective, mm. then try to address that and diffuse that trigger. Mm. Um, and you may be able to do that uh, by some other diplomatic means Um, and you can very often use one trigger against another trigger Mm. Uh, for example you know the t trigger um ended up in the one of the elements to this uh, capital riots but Mm -hmm. um other people who may even have been uh uh, sympathetic to one side suddenly were united Mm. Mm. uh, by the o trigger and the t trigger first of all Hey, this is not how you have an organized society. We have we have procedures, we have rules mm. that violated it. And then you can also they would also say, yeah, okay, um, we have our differences, but we're all Americans. Yeah. Um, 
And it, that's what finally happens in wars. I mean, look at, you know, look at our arch enemies, the Germans, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Japanese, you know, and history is just repeating this over and over. The Russians mm. who flipped from being our enemies to our allies. And what changed? Just our perception of us versus them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was moved from internally to externally. And I think this, there's, there's, there is research, sufficiently robust research, that there's a correlation between war and domestic strife. So the way leaders will unite their internal tribes into one tribe is to project an external enemy and therefore create a much bigger or trigger much higher levels of the life mords uh, against an external enemy to therefore unite the tribes within their boundaries. That's right. And also stresses figure into that, you know, in a society is very, uh, that's suffering mm-hmm. and under stress is more likely to result in violence. So what is the solution to that? You know, that I, is what I guess foreign aid is all about is mm. to, a big part of foreign aid is to try to relieve those stresses um, in part, because if you don't, it's going to boil over into violence. Yeah, and 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 you've mentioned stress a few times. Uh, maybe it's uh, it's a neat time to just delve in, into that a little bit more. Why is stress so important for us to understand? And what neurologically, what do we understand stress to be? Right. Well, we all know what stress feels like, but what it is is your unconscious brain taking in situational information about your internal state, your external state, and coming to the conclusion that you're in danger. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're in danger, you put your threat detection mechanism on high alert. That's self-protective. This is what protects a service member over there uh, walking around in the streets where there are IEDs everywhere. Mm. Um, But this is also what protects each of us. When we are under threat, we are uh, threshold on these light, more triggers being pulled lowers to protect ourselves against that. But that also means you're going to have misfires, more likely, just like, you know, you put the national, you put the nation's uh, civil defense on high alert, it's more likely you're going to have a misfire. Um, or, or put another way, the reason stress makes sense in mm. that context is the right thing to do when you're under threat is to lower the threshold on your threat detection mechanism. Mm. But then you're going to have, have more, you know, a, a real good example of that was just this you know, terrible situation of evacuation from Afghanistan. Mm. And, um, you know, after right after that terrorist bombing, um, the United States then with a uh, drone mm. mistakenly bombed mm. uh, an innocent yeah. man and his children, you know, in a car, mm. mistaking that person as a terrorist. Well, we were under tremendous stress. You know, mm. we had a clock ticking. We had just had this horrific uh, bombing. Um, and so we were on this biology, put us on a hair trigger, mm. um, and we made a mistake. Mm. Uh, if we hadn't been under stress, a little more time would have passed and might have found out that this, this was not uh, a need for a violent response. The other is when, when we had that, uh, we killed uh, Soleimani, mm-hmm. and then the Iranians shot all of those missiles back to the Americans. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, inter- interestingly, we didn't fight because we actually felt that was kind of justified at a biological level that, mm. you know, uh, we did this to them. So they did this. We understand back. But what also happened is that they shot down a, 
commercial airliner from mm-hmm. the Ukraine, I think, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they were under such stress, thought the Americans, because we had told them that we were going to, uh, you know, attack them, and obliterate them. Mm. Uh, in ways that they, they've never seen. Yeah. Uh, so they were under stress. And and so, you know, mistook, you know, an airplane going the wrong direction as, as an incoming missile. And and uh, so, yeah, uh, it's important to understand that because we can't always control our stresses, right? Mm. Um, some things like, you know, your health or death in the family or job problems, you know, you can't control them. Yeah. Um, so it's better to recognize that, well, I am under stress. Therefore, I am more likely to mm. have a, a snap response yeah. and, and be especially careful and on guard to avoid that. You're, you're walking around with, your, with a handgun with the safety off in mm. that situation. You need to be careful. Yeah, which is why the rhetoric of our leaders is so important as well. I mean, because it's, it, it, it can provide, it can trigger responses that are misfiring and therefore accidental. So the downing of civilian aircraft, uh, which we can, and, and then if it's denied, that will then trigger a different, uh, uh, say, an insult in, in those who are convinced that it was a civilian aircraft uh, brought down by your weapon systems. Um, that will trigger an insult in them. And the action, reaction, action, reaction, ultimately we start, the, the more, tension is built into that system, the more likely it's that it's going to snap and snap meaning collectively as a society, there will be a war. Uh, and again, that's what we can see in history. Right? It is the, it is the buildup of stress and sufficient triggers being struck to one way or another. Uh, and we're in war. And well, that's what dis- diplomacy is all about. And that's why all countries have it and why it's so important. Um, we have to, we have to avoid that problem um, n- because violence uh, and war is always regrettable, <laughs> mm. uh, but sometimes there's no other choice. Mm. Um, but we, and also, as you mentioned, populations can be manipulated, mm. uh, uh, you know, gangs and religious strife and, and groups of people can be put pitched against one another by leaders pressing on these these triggers um, to engage in violence. Mm. So maybe one of the final few questions then, how can life morts inform the life of peacemakers, peace builders who go into development environments uh, to help develop other nations or even soldiers who go to go and pe- keep the peace? Um, because they are oftentimes in a very, very strange, uncertain, unfamiliar environment where stress and anxiety will be elevated anyway. So therefore, again, as we as you mentioned a number of times, that increases the chance of one of these life forms to be triggered. What right. advice do you give these people who are on the ground in these environments? Well, there were two questions there. It was peacekeeping in general, and I think understanding the biology and the life forms is helpful to allow us to recognize the, uh, the roots of aggression, um, that this situation, whether you realize it or not, is pressing on a biological mechanism with no other pers- purpose than to elicit deadly violence. So we need to be careful. So we're talking about territory, borders between countries, um, you know, uh, insult, you mentioned um, uh, 
embargoes, all of these things, you can't engage in those lightly or be dismissive uh, about any of these situations around the world that will be pressing on these triggers. So that can help avoid it. Uh, secondly, understanding stress is very important um, because that's going to result in mistakes. Mm. Um, you know, to go through a war and then have the leaders later say, oh, well, it was a mistake. That's, you know, that's mm. obscene. We can't have that. Mm. We can't have a war that's a mistake. Mm. Um, yeah. Secondly, in mediating these conflicts when they arise, as we touched on before, you can, if you understand where the roots of regression are, you can use one life more trigger against the other. You can find alternative means to deal uh, di diplomatically with with what it is uh, causing this threat, um, you know, and, and and a good one is you know with China, I would assume is making realize, hey, we're we're all part of this economic tribe, you know, we we mm -hmm. can't really we're interdependent, uh, you know, it could be something like that. I'm just pulling that example out of the air, mm -hmm. um, and also very important for avoiding uh, the manipulation, and in terms of servicemen. Um, I think it's important to understand because here they are <laughs> boots on the ground on the cutting edge um, and they're driven there uh, and, and putting their life on the line. Um, so I, I think a lot of this biology is important. I talked to a lot of, you know, SEAL team six members and whatnot. And you talked about, uh, you know, gut react, gut feelings. Um, this is the unconscious brain threat detection mechanism they use this, um, and these seals told me that you know we go into a uh, we go into some building and we it just doesn't seem right, and we may not know exactly why we have this feeling, but we respect it, and we'll back off. Hmm. Um, and as a mountain climber, we have that same feeling, um, and we respect. We don't. We don't. Hmm feel like, oh, well, you're crazy. What it always turns out is, yeah, there really was a threat that you did not consciously mm. recognize. Mm. And now you back off of it and you find out, oh, yeah. Um, so the Navy, the Navy and the military train, certainly in sports as well, but the, it, it, we're talking about service members train um, both the conscious and the unconscious threat detection. And they have specific exercises. So you need them both. Mm. And also, you need to control this uh, aggressive response, right? So I, I, I told this Navy SEAL, you know, about my situation in Barcelona, of uh, you know, fighting with with mm. this mm. robber, and he says, "Yeah, I never would have done that." <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? mm. you know, yeah. here, here's a guy who could who could take you out with a spoon, right? While he's you know texting, <laughs> um, and he mm. wouldn't do it, and it's because he learned, uh, you know what I had to learn that uh, you're not aware of the whole situation. It wasn't worth it. Uh, you know, there are, you better be sure before mm. you engage in this and they go through deliberate exercises to engage a deliberative process on violence. Mm. You know, as he told me, you know, you don't want a Marine or, 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 or an army man to suddenly go berserk and start shooting everybody mm. when there's a threat, obviously mm. Um, mm. they need to, in that instant, assess the threat, prioritize the threats, and then decide how to deal with it and how to take it out. Mm. And uh, mm. it was interesting for him to explain how the Navy trains them to do that. So it's a combination of both things. Mm.
but it's all based in neuroscience. Yeah, which is absolutely fascinating. And, and I think the, the important point here for, for myself to take away is the importance of training, that we can actually train these intuitive uh, or gut feel responses to force us to pause and take stock. Uh, but also from a military perspective to also be aware as individual soldiers that, yes, we can train these systems, but these systems are also vulnerable to things like stress. So the importance, and this is in a, in a deployment, deployed environment where sleep is a commodity, uh, the importance of sleeping, the importance of eating well, the importance of exercising, all of these things that will reduce the buildup of tension that would allow our programmed, trained, nuanced gut field responses to actually work as well as they should, as opposed to also misfire. Because importantly, we're all susceptible to this, ultimately, regardless of the training, if the conditions are such that there's enough stress in the system, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, I was interested in, in talking about control uh, in people who are strictly nonviolent. So how is that possible? If, hmm. if you know, if we've got this, and there are people. So one, you know, the Quakers, but the Jains, this religious group, mm -hmm. the Jains, uh, believe in reincarnation. They uh, won't kill any living creature. They sweep the path in front of them, you know, so they don't step on ants. Mm -hmm. They won't eat root crops even because that kills the plant. Right. Um, so I, I went to their temples, probably the wrong word, but mm. you know, I interviewed them and, and I went to one of their services and they're wonderful people, lovely people. They're strictly nonviolent, mm. completely nonviolent. And, and I asked them and, and I could see the way they do that is they structure their society to eliminate these life morts. Hmm. You know, they give up money. They could go down the list um, so that they don't have these, uh, these triggers. Mm. Um, because what we have is the control of the circuitry by the prefrontal cortex. Um, and they train their whole life. I mean, part of it's also probably genetics, but it's partially environmental. You know, they grew up seeing uh, their family re react to uh, situations nonviolently. And, and, and that wires the brain up that way. But there is a consequence. Um, they will not engage in violence for any reason. If, someone invaded their house and attacked uh, their children or their, their spouse, they mm. would not engage in violence. Now I understand that it's because of their deep religion and feeling that, you know, life on earth is transient and the goal is to get to Nirvana and separate yourself from worldly, you know, uh, mm. earthly concerns. And so I understand it. And I respect it. Um, but I would, I, I couldn't, I'd have a very hard time with that. Mm. So when I was in the uh, listening to them in the service, there is an instance where from the Middle East, there was a soldier put in a cage and burned alive. And mm. there were pictures on that on TV, just disgusting, horrifying. And uh, he, the speaker used that as an example and said, you know, you can't judge that. You can't say that's good or bad. That's, that's just that person's karma. Mm. I would have a very hard time with that. Mm, I mean, mm. I just can't imagine accepting that kind of brutality. Mm. Uh, uh, so the, the point here is that you can control it, uh, but you're going to give up a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I wondered is, well, you know, if, if these if violence is so necessary as it is, and we see it in the animal world and human world, how do you have people who are nonviolent persist? 
Mm. And the amazing thing is the Jain religion is the oldest religion in existence. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's a really impressive because it, it, it strikes me as though they're deeply conscious of the action-reaction component to this. So the way to cut the circuit, so to speak, is to not react, which comes with this whole idea of forgiveness and uh, potentially mediation or um, truth and reconciliations and so on. Is that maybe what it is, that it's a, that it's a recognition? And, and we are, because we are so programmed to react, it's very difficult, and it's also very difficult domestically, politically, uh, to the tribe, et cetera, to reject uh, a violent response, whereas what they figured out is, well, that's the only way ultimately to stop this from occurring again. You accept what's happened. Uh, that's their karma, as they call it, uh, and you move on. Is that maybe what it is? Yes, um, and I talked to him about it, and that's exactly right. It's not easy. They are fighting their biology. Mm. They work on it every day, their whole life, consciously, deliberately suppressing this and then mm. structuring their world so that they can avoid these triggers. So it's very much uh, a conscious effort, which shows you the extent to which it can be controlled. Yeah. But um, it also brings about the two factors that control the circuitry. We're just talking about circuitry like any other circuit in the brain, mm. and it's controlled by two things, genes and the environment. So your brain wires up after you're born. I mean, mm. the human brain is not fully developed until about your early 20s. Mm. So the human brain cheats evolution by wiring up after birth because the environment, our experiences, control how the brain wires up. And in that way, we, we can cheat evolution because your brain becomes ideally suited to the environment you're raised in for success to reproductive age. You know, we don't mm. live in caves anymore. Mm. Um, and, and so um, there, there is a genetic component and an environmental component. And I think these, this is a very secluded society. So there is a genetic component, I, I would suspect. But the environment is very important. Um, and it also just makes sense if you're if if you are raised in a hostile you know inner city area, um, you're going to develop a hair trigger um, mm. because if you don't, you're going to be victimized, mm. and that is the way to success. And definitely, service members they have to do that. You are they are really in th in mortal threat. But then when you come back into another environment, or you take an inner city person to a another environment where that's not appropriate anymore. Then it becomes a liability. So no. genes and environment, um, are, um, but determine the circuitry and the prefrontal cortex controlling the threat detection mechanism uh, allows us to control this response. Yeah. This strikes me as a, as a, as a wonderful merger of, of kind of social science or, or you know, Kurt Lewin's uh, formula that behavior is a function of the environment and personality, which in this case, personality we know is heavily shaped by genes. Uh, it's a wonderful merger with now neuroscience, a, a very different field. But uh, you, you hit a well, – sorry, go on. Well, right. You know, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, war and aggression and violence, there are many perspectives, you know, mm. psychology or and economics and, and, you know, politics. They all give us insight and are all valuable. Mm. Um, so this is not the means all and ends all, but the neuroscience – of the roots of aggression do give us a new perspective mm. that can be helpful together with the others. Absolutely. And, and I'm sorry, I'm conscious of the time, but I just can't, you, you've just, well, triggered uh, another question <laughs> in my mind. Um, and that is, you, you made the point that when you're grown up and nurtured in a particular environment, that wires your brain one way. And 
we you are then taking say a soldier that's grown up in uh, a country like Australia that's wealthy, uh, peaceful by and large, and then they're taken into extremely violent environments, and that that has naturally an effect. And this is what we can probably contribute. Uh, at least to an extent to what is then known as post-traumatic stress disorder. Is that, is that accurate? Do, do we, th- does this have a role with PTSD? Yeah, two ways. It's a mismatch between the environment mm-hmm. and, um, and the brain wiring. You need that aggressive response, rapid response in, mm-hmm. a, in a hostile, threatening environment uh, in the Middle East mm-hmm. wars, for example. Yeah. Um, and, and then that becomes inappropriate when this person comes back home because they are they're all wired to 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 snap basically mm, and yeah. secondly um th- th- that can lead to ptsd and whatnot but also we understand that you know concussion traumatic brain injury um or just trauma psychological yeah. trauma rewires the brain um and it can be very persistent so uh, give back to what we started what started me is this professor you know, mm. <laughs> engaging in a street fight with this mm. <laughs> thug which is crazy finding out uh but i that was not our first encounter with a robbery so if you read at the end of the book we Mm. get the end of the book you'll find out that my daughter and i were robbed in paris Mm. just before going to barcelona Mm. i don't know why the robbers are picking on me maybe i'm looking vulnerable (laughs) or it was with my daughter they weren't anymore (laughs) but (laughs) but in any case that was the second robbery okay Mm. um you lose your wallet over you know, in that in, in Europe, and you mm. don't you don't have any money. You you don't have ID. Uh, you can't get on an airplane. You can't find food. You can't get into a hotel. You are in a big mess, real mm. stress. And my and and the F trigger for family was there because I'm protecting my daughter. She's totally dependent on me. Mm. So that's what happened. So after that first trigger, uh, that first robbery, I was under stress. I was mm. oblivious. I didn't react this way to the first. Uh, pickpocket fortunately um i was able my my uh reach my brother he wired us some money and so that's how we were able to continue our trip in barcelona and that's what got robbed mm. is this valuable money that my money that my brother had wired us so what happened my amygdala had learned <laughs> mm. and it wasn't going to happen again and it didn't it wasn't going to ask my cerebral cortex <laughs> It had learned. And so that's the same kind of thing is that if you're in, you know, you, your brain will adapt to the environment you, that you're in. Um, mm. And it's not conscious, it's, uh, but you need to be, you need to be aware of it. Aware of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, and I think that's a wonderful note to also bring this to an end, the awareness piece. I mean, it is so, and I think you've given us a really, really handy tool uh, and one that certainly is uh, now in my back pocket and one that I'll be uh, sharing with uh, the people that I come across, particularly in the military, uh, because I think it, it is so important on an individual level, but also on a societal level that we understand that, um, and again, just to come back to this point, to have empathy with ourselves and others, that this is nature. This is not unusual, unexpected. It is normal. Uh, but if we can normalize these triggers and responses, we can then also start talking about them more freely and openly with a view that we can actually negotiate our way and mediate our way out of much bigger problems and striking these triggers in a much, much higher level uh, or societal level. 
Right. Understanding is the key, you know, mm. and, and, and telling somebody to put a lid on it or don't get angry mm. or you know, yeah. calm down. If you're in an yeah. argument, you tell somebody to calm down what happens. It's worse. That's <laughs> yeah. the S trigger. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's better to understand what's going on. And, and this, I do speak to me- members of the military and, and, and those with PTSD and they find it helpful. Mm. You know, um, be, they want to know why they're angry. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, it has been an absolutely enlightening conversation. I am uh, absolutely thrilled to have come across your book. Thank you so much for writing it because I think it's a really important topic. Um, and I look forward to reading some of your other work as well because it strikes me as though uh, you have a very particular ability to synthesize very, very complex or seemingly complex to ask me mortals uh, topics into very, very understandable and useful, well, in this case, mnemonics. Thank you so much for your well, time. Thank really you. Thank you so much for the uh, opportunity to be on the show. And I'm, I want to thank you. You know, it was a pleasure talking with you because, you know, you, you really did the research and, and uh, read the book and, and had a lot. You were really prepared and, I, and it shows and I appreciate that very much. So thank you for a great discussion. Thank you very much. Doug. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Voices of War. You can access all episodes on www.thevoicesofwar.com or by subscribing wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review as we'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like to recommend a guest for the show, you can reach me on info at thevoicesofwar.com. 